Welcome to the SJBC Sunday Morning Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by our senior pastor, Dr. Richard Carver. For more podcasts, videos, and information on our church, please visit mysjbc.org. All right, we're still in Colossians. I invite you to join me there in Colossians chapter 2, page 954, <clears throat> there in your pew Bible. Chapter 2, at verse 4. Perhaps you have heard the story of a pastor who uh, had an unsavory business open up near their church, and so he protested the business and, and finally garnered enough attention that they ended up in court. And the, the attorney thought he would em, embarrass the, the pastor, and so he said, he asked the pastor who was causing such a ruckus for this business, he said, aren't you a pastor? He said, yes, I'm a pastor. He said, I thought pastors were shepherds. And he shook his head. He agreed. Yeah, pastors are shepherds. He said, well, if you're a shepherd, shouldn't you be home tending the sheep? He said, well, not today. Today I'm out fighting the wolves. <laughs> That's what was going on in Colossus in chapter 2. Paul was fighting the wolves. Things were a mess in the city. The church was coming under intense attack. And Paul was offering them encouragement during these attacks. Now, we gain wisdom from this because I promise you, we just sang today that Satan hates you and hurls insults at you. He's the enemy who wants to harm you. And you frequently come under attack. You, your home, the people that you love, this church comes under attack. And we can look in Paul's lesson here about how to survive and thrive and remaining as saints alive and well while we're under attack, whether that's at home or here at church or in your business or in your health, wherever Satan might attack. And for the church at Colossus, by listening to what Paul was teaching and saying to them, and by doing what he said, they would be able to overcome the enemy. And that's good advice for us. If we can listen into what Paul is saying, take it home with us and apply it to our own lives, we can overcome the enemy as well. This is good advice because our Christian walk in the way we live our life, God expects us to continuously make progress in our spiritual development. Join me in Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, page 954, there in your pew Bible. Paul writes to them, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So just by him saying that, we know that there are people presenting fine-sounding arguments to the members at Coloss, intending to lead them astray and to deceive them. No different than today. As you watch the news, read the paper, cruise through Facebook or Instagram or wherever your favorite choice for social media is, you're going to be attempted uh, to be led astray by fine-sounding arguments. So not much different from today. But he continues in verse 5, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined and how firm your faith in Christ is. So since he can see this in them, he gives some advice. So then, since there's fine-sounding arguments attempt to lead you astray, 
since he's not with them physically, but he's with them in spirit. And even though he's not with them physically, he can still see and understand how spiritually disciplined they are and how firm their faith in Christ is. He says, so then, since all of this is true about you, and we want that to be true about us, since this is true about you as believers, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, I mean as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. There's some good advice here that we can apply to our lives starting today. In truth, in Christian life, we never stand still. Jacqueline used a theological word earlier, the word sanctification. The word sanctification just means maturing spiritually in Christ, learning what it means to be saved and to be a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we either are going forward, which is sanctification, or we're gradually slipping backward. Now there's an old Baptist word for that called backsliding, where you slip backwards gradually. Now the call from this passage is from Paul is that we move forward in growing spiritually because the Christian who is not making spiritual progress we're an open target for the enemy. And that's why he introduces this passage with what he says in verse 4, that don't come under attack by fine-sounding arguments and pleas because Satan intends to attack and destroy. Now, there's a need for progress in the believer's walk because Satan is tricky and he's deceptive. He wants to lead believers astray. He can't take your soul. You've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that free gift that's offered to everyone, and you've placed your faith in Him. You belong to Christ. Ephesians says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And Scripture tells us that you can't be plucked from the hand of God. So you can't lose your salvation if you've had an authentic salvation experience with Christ. But Satan can sure make your life a mess. He can attack you, torment you, and just beat you up in any number of ways. And he wants to lead believers astray, and that's his task. Because he knows if he leads you astray, more than likely you're going to take somebody with you. And since birds of a feather flock together, since Christians kind of hang out with other Christians, then as we're being led astray, he knows that more than likely we're going to lead other believers astray. And so to do this, he uses deceptive words and ideas and he uses persuasive arguments just like a lawyer might do. And you've had those arguments in your head when you've had that argument, should I or shouldn't I? I know I shouldn't. And here's all the reasons why I shouldn't, but boy, I really want to. Whatever it is that, that you have that argument going on in your mind. See, Satan's a liar. He can't tell the truth. He just lies all the time. And by his lies, he leads believers into the wrong path so that we're walking where we should not walk or we're living like we should not be living or we're talking like we should not be talking. And he intends to, to damage us in such a way that we, it interferes with us hearing the voice of God in our life. And it's important that we exercise spiritual discernment. And spiritual discernment grows and happens as we continue to grow in our knowledge of spiritual truth. And that's the emphasis that Paul's giving here to the believers at Coloss. He wants them to be growing. Now, if this is a, a wise admonition for them, it's certainly a wise admonition for us that we as Christian people exercise spiritual discernment 
while we grow in our knowledge of spiritual truth. And so what Paul does is he uses several word pictures to illustrate what spiritual progress looks like. In verse 5, we find the words disciplined and firm. Those are military words in the original context. And they're words that describe an army that's united against a particular enemy. And so when Paul admonishes the church to be disciplined and firm, he's telling them, arrange yourselves like a, in a group like an army would. Because you need to be prepared not only to defend yourself, but also to make spiritual progress to attack the works of Satan that you see going on around you. In the rank and file of the military, every soldier has a place. Now, not everybody can be a general, but the general can't win the war without everybody. And so we all are in this together. This idea of discipline and firm, the, the firm pictures the soldiers in battle formation in the original context. And so we truly are soldiers for the Lord. And we need to see ourselves first as soldiers for the Lord. We're not just bench sitters. We are participants in a war that's happening all around us. And we are to be involved in that war. They form a solid front against an enemy who's attempting to advance. Now who are we protecting? We're protecting one another, certainly but we're also protecting those who are spiritually immature. Those who are more developed in their spiritual insight and discernment need to be protecting those who are less developed. And so we're guarding one another, but they're also guarding the people that's behind us and protecting the people that's behind us because Christians ought to make progress in discipline and obedience just like soldiers on a battlefield. And we do that together. In verse 6, Paul compares the Christian life to a, to a journey. He says believers really must learn how to walk. That word walk and how we live our life, that Paul uses that word walk throughout his writings, it means just how we live life. Putting one foot in front of another day by day, the decisions that we make, how we go through the courses of life. Now Paul had already encouraged the believers at Coloss in chapter 1 to walk worthy of the Lord or to live a life worthy of the Lord. In chapter 1, verse 10, we are to walk in Christ. And we are to walk in Christ or live in Christ the way that we originally received Christ. Paul says, by faith. We receive Christ by faith. When you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that was an act of faith. You're believing that He came to this earth to redeem lost humanity. You believe that He walked to the cross, that he hung on the cross and died, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose from the grave. That's what you're placing your faith in. Because in that action, he provides forgiveness for our sin. We already sang today that we were guilt broken. We're broken by our sin. And so we receive him by faith. We started with Christ, and Paul is admonishing us that we must continue with Christ. Until one day we finish this life with Christ. And it started with faith, and we continue in faith. That's the only way to make spiritual progress. And then Paul just blows open the picture words in verse 7. He gives us multiple words right here in a row. He starts off with the word rooted to explain the Christian life. Now you know the word rooted. It's an agricultural word. 
Jeffrey and I were walking through a, a new portion of uh, Broad Run Park, and they have a, a place when you come to it, it's called the Majestic Oak, and it's, the, it's a huge oak tree on a hillside in the woods. It's just beautiful to see. And we were looking at that tree and admiring that tree, and she made the comment, you know, they say that, that there is more underground than there is above the ground. That for every branch above, there is one or more roots below to, to feed that branch. Paul uses an agricultural word to describe the Christian believer. There ought to be more spiritual depth in our life than what a person can see. What they see in us living our life out in the world should be only a small glimpse of how deep we are in Christ. And he says that, that, that for us, that we're rooted once and for all. That when we root, root ourselves in Christ, we stay rooted in Christ. We're not to be tossed by every wind or doctrine. Nor, nor are we to be transplants. People who are repeatedly moved from theological soil to theological soil to keep our faith as it is in Christ. And once we're rooted by faith in Christ, there's no need to be rooted in anything else. He's telling them, don't follow these fine-sounding arguments. Don't listen to them. Stay rooted in Christ. Don't be moving around. Keep your faith where it started. And those roots will nourish you so that you can, can grow into a well-matured Christian, giving you strength and stability when the storms of life hit and when Satan attacks. He goes on in verse 7 to use the word built up. He started off with an agricultural word, but here's an architectural word. We know what it means to build something up. You start with nothing and you work from the ground until you have a completed structure. And this word built up is a verb. And it's a verb that's in the present tense form. And it says, Paul says, as we are being built up in the original languages. We trust Christ to save us. We're put on a foundation, a theological and spiritual foundation. From that foundation, we grow. We grow in grace, we grow in knowledge. And in order to make spiritual progress, that means that we're continually adding to the temple, our temple, for God's glory. Paul also uses the word or the idea of attending school to describe the believer's walk in life. It's the word of Christ that builds and strengthens the Christians. Today, Christians who study the word of God become established in faith. If we're not studying the word of God, if we're not spending time reading scripture and, and praying to God, talking with him, then our faith is not going to be very well established. Those are requirements. It's not just coming to worship or Sunday school or, or Bible study. It's you and me personally spending time in the Word of God, listening to His voice. That's what grows our faith. And in truth, Satan has a difficult time deceiving the Bible-taught, Bible-reading believer because you know the truth. Paul uses the word overflowing in verse 7. We know what something does when it overflows. We know what a river does when the waters rise and it overflows its banks. Our first experience in the Lord begins that overflowing process. 
and it's that of drinking the water of life by faith. You remember the story of Jesus and the woman at the well? And he describes how the overflowing process begins in John chapter 4 and in John chapter 7. Jesus answered the woman at the well, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, speaking about the water from the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them, spiritual water, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them, listen to what he says, will become a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. That's inside of you. You have a spring of living water that is welling up to eternal life. And then in chapter 7, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty, spiritually thirsty, come to me and drink. Now, we, he defines what it means to drink. Whoever believes in me. So when you believe in Jesus Christ, you're drinking in that living water. It's becoming part of you, enabling you. So Jesus defines for us what it means to drink. He says, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said. Look what he says now. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. That's you. Now that challenges me to think about my own life. Jesus puts within the believer and the child of God within us a well of living water. The well of living water that we have within us because of our faith in Christ should become a river of living water that spreads and grows deeper and deeper. Now the reason Jesus tells us this and the reason Paul admonishes the believers at Coloss the way he does is because he's looking at some of us and we're not making progress. Now, he sees in the Colossian believers that they're disciplined and they're making progress because he's heard about their faith. But if you think about Christianity today and the believer today, we've become quite deluded. And we're not making a lot of progress. Our lives are shallow trickles instead of mighty rivers. But Jesus says that from within us, there should be mighty rivers of faith flowing out of us to bless the world around us. Lastly, Paul mentions thankfulness. A thankful spirit is a mark of Christian maturity. When a believer is overflowing in thankfulness, we know they're making progress, and it's real progress. Paul gives us a wonderful picture in this passage of true spiritual progress what it looks like for saints to be alive, to be alive in this fallen world, but having Christ flow out of us. And we see how the growing Christian then can easily defeat Satan because Paul has laid it all out here. We can understand how a Christian will not be easily led astray. 
if they're filling themselves with the Word of God, and if our spiritual roots are deep in Christ, we're not going to want any other soul. We're not going to be tempted to, to move around our spiritual life. We're going to stay in Christ. And if Christ is our sure foundation, there's certainly no need to move. But if He's not, then we need to move right away. Because if your foundation is on something other than Jesus Christ, from what we've read here, we can understand that, that our foundation is not secure. That really, we're in trouble. Now, if we're studying and, and growing in, in, in the Word of God, we're not going to be enticed by false doctrine. And if our heart is overflowing with thanksgiving, we won't even consider turning from the fullness we have in Christ. What Paul is saying, if we could sum all this up, he's saying that a grounded, growing, grateful believer will not be led astray. It won't happen. Now, spiritual growth is a choice. It truly is up to you. God is sovereign, but He won't force you to grow spiritually. He'll beckon you. He'll call you. But that choice is ours. And God's watching. He knows. He knows when we pray, when we don't pray. He knows what burdens we carry around without bringing them to Him. It's necessary to deepen our relationship with God, with the Lord Jesus Christ, and with the Holy Spirit. It's making Jesus the Lord of our lives when we live, as Paul admonishes us here. And growing our spirituality is the desire to become righteous and more Christ-like. But it's a choice. Now, spiritual growth is not the same thing as being religious. Religion comes from traditions and ceremonies and things like that. And religion always has its source in human-made rules and requirements. And we can see here from what Paul is saying that we can be led astray thinking that it's something that we can do with our lives, but all it is just surrendering by choice to grow closer to the Lord. Because godly spirituality doesn't come from a person. Godly spirituality comes from a true and earnest desire from our heart to walk closely with Jesus Christ. So close that we could almost hear His voice whisper. So how's your heart this morning? We're going to sing a hymn of invitation as Jacqueline comes. The choice is, is, is ours. And the choice is ours to make. And I invite you today that if you have a spiritual decision to make, that you'd like to pray, I'll be glad to pray with you. Let's stand together as we sing.